We are in week seven of the Gospel of Matthew. Week seven, I want to encourage you uh, really, really uh, as quick as you can to get to Matthew uh, chapter 27. Matthew chapter 27, it's on page 158 of your scripture journal, the black scripture journal you may uh, have and engage with. I want to take you to Matthew chapter 27. Matthew has 28 chapters, so we're, we're getting to the end of Matthew here in Matthew chapter 27. And what we're going to engage today is what you probably heard as uh, the passion narrative. Uh, the passion narrative, it's, it's, it's what we experience a lot when we go towards Holy Week. It's when Jesus is on his way to the cross and ultimately to his resurrection. One of the things that was true about Jesus' life and ministry, especially in Matthew, is that Jesus multiple times, multiple times said, hey, disciples, I've come to heal. I've come to teach. I've come to usher in God's kingdom. I've come to do all these things. But ultimately, disciples, friends, close followers, I'm here ultimately to die. I'm here ultimately to give my life for you and be raised up to show that I have authority and victory over death. But ultimately, I'm here to die. And you can read it through the Gospel of Matthew and the other Gospels. The disciples didn't like that a lot. Like at one point, the scripture says Peter actually rebuked Jesus. Okay, like he said, like, no, that's not how it's going to go. And Jesus said, this is why I've come. This is how it's got to go down. We pick up the story in Matthew chapter 27. Jesus is on the cross. He's been crucified. He's been handed over. He's been rejected. He's been flogged. He's been beaten. And Jesus is on the cross. Matthew chapter 27, verse 45. says this, from now from the sixth hour, that was at noon, there was darkness all over the land until about the ninth hour, which would be 3 p.m. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, this man is calling Elijah. And one of them at once ran and took a sponge, filled it with sour wine, and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink. But the other said, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come and save him. They're mocking him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And in that moment, the Son of God, the Son of Man, Jesus, who had had this earthly life and ministry, who had preached and healed and proclaimed and led and taught, dies. He dies. He yields up his spirit. Crucifixion was a death meant to suffocate the human body. It was to, to orient the person in such a way on these, on these beams that they would, their body would cave in on itself. They could no longer breathe properly and, and suffocate and die. And Jesus, he, he gives his last breath. He yields his spirit and he dies. And we're not going to hang here for too much longer, but I want to remind you today that to Jesus, you're worth dying for. You're worth dying for. You're worth going to a cross. You're worth experiencing the full weight of separation from God. You're worth experiencing every sin, every sickness, every disease at one moment and being literally crushed by it. You're worth dying for. The cross says to you, 
it says to me, Jesus thinks you're worth dying for. Maybe sometime or another you felt like your, your life is not even worth living. Jesus said, your life is worth me giving my life for. You're worth dying for. But as you likely know, that's not the end of the story. Matthew 27, verse 62, we're jumping around a little bit. It says this, the next day, Saturday, that is, after the day of preparation, preparation for the Sabbath, which would be Friday, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered before Pilate and said, Sir, remember how that imposter said while he was still alive? After three days, I'll rise. Remember Jesus said that multiple times. Therefore, sir, order the tomb to be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples go and steal him away and tell the people he has risen from the dead. And the last fraud will be worse than the first. Pilate said to them, You have a guard of soldiers? Go. Make it as secure as you can. So they went and made the tomb secure by sealing the stone and setting a guard. Matthew 28, verse 1. Now after the Sabbath, after Saturday, Sunday morning, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. They went to see the tomb. The tomb. Mary Magdalene, this, this lady that Jesus had cast seven demons out of, that Jesus had, had, had performed this miraculous sign for her that had liberated her to live a new life, given her dignity back, given her a story to live, Mary Magdalene. And you may hear the other Mary, that's not the mother of Jesus, okay? It's, it's, a, it's a mother of, of close disciples of Jesus. She followed around Jesus. She was actually a, a distant relative of Jesus. And so she had seen Jesus live his life for 33 years, she had been around Jesus. She had heard him talk. She had heard everything that Jesus predicted to come true in his life and ministry. She had a lot of trust. She had a lot of relationship with Jesus. And these two Marys are now going towards the tomb. And I just want you to imagine for a second. Imagine if you're Mary Magdalene. Imagine if you have Mary's story. You've been healed and redeemed and set free and cleansed and given hope and a future by this man. And everything he said until this point has come true. But then Jesus dies. He dies. And they go to the tomb with spices. Because that's what you did for dead bodies. You anointed them. You preserved them. Eventually the body would erode and the bones would be taken elsewhere. But they go. And Mary Magdalene goes. Ma imagine if you're the other Mary. And you've known Jesus. He's almost your, he's almost your, like your, your cousin, your nephew. You've seen him grow up. You've seen him through his adolescence and his hormones, but he's been like the savior of the world, like the, the son of God, the son of man. He's been perfect the whole time. And you and your whole family believe in him. And imagine going to the tomb. It's not a hopeful scene. It's not a hopeful scene. It's at least a two, two and a half mile walk. And they go very early. And I would just picture that the Marys haven't slept much. I would just picture that the, the Sabbath wasn't like a lot of other Sabbaths. I picture there's a little more grief, a little more questions why, a little more mystery, a little more sorrow, and probably a lot of disappointment. Probably a lot of disappointment. And I'm specifically captured by Mary Magdalene. Mary Magdalene as you recall, she, she was the one who poured out her perfume 
on Jesus' feet as an act of worship, as an act of gratitude. And even Jesus' disciples said, this is like a waste. Like, this is a waste of all kinds of days of wages. And that was her act of worship. I imagine Mary Magdalene, she's going to the tomb as one last act of worship. She's going to, she's going to the tomb with one last act of, the least I could do to Jesus, after all he's done for me, yes, he's died, the least I could do is go anoint his body. The least I could do is to go to his tomb and honor him and bless him in that way. And they're going to see a body that's been beaten beyond recognition. They're going to see a flogged, mutilated Jesus wrapped up in some linens. It's not a pretty story. But look what happens when they get there. Look what happens when they get there. They're going to the tomb. Toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake. And an angel of the Lord descends from heaven. Imagine this. You have, you have eyes that are dry from tears. You have, you're, just, you're tired. You're weary. You're disappointed. And there's this angel that comes on the scene. He descends from heaven and came back and rolled the stone and sat on it. Now you encounter this angel. I have to imagine the angel like had a little fun, like, morning, Mary, other Mary, good to see you. And the other scriptures say there's, there's more than one angel there. So there's like this company of angels. The tombstone is rolling away. Some would say that those tombstones weighed almost 4,000 pounds, depending on the size of them. This is no like man dressed in like a white tunic, okay? This is an angel from heaven. He descends, moves this, and encounters these people. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know you seek Jesus. Mary, other Mary, I know why you're here. I know your tears the last few days. I know your disappointment. I know your love and your affection and your gratitude for Jesus. Mary, I, I, know, I know why you're here. You're actually seeking Jesus. You're seeking the dead, crucified, buried body of Jesus who was crucified. Mary, I have an update for you. His body is not here. His body's not in the tomb. And he wasn't just stolen. He has risen. He has risen. Just like he said would happen. Just like he said. Come, come, see, see the place. Like, look into the, look into the grave. Look into where his body should be that's not there. One scripture says that Jesus had actually folded the linens. Jesus made his bed, okay, as a sign to them, hey, my body wasn't stolen by some robbers who were trying to, trying to move it, trying to mess this whole thing up. My body is not here. I, I've actually gotten up and I've risen. I, I'm actually out of the tomb. He is not here. He is risen. His body was not taken. He, he's alive. 
And I think he may, maybe made the bed because he knew what Pilate and the officials were, were thinking. He knew their plan to kind of mess this thing up and try to say, no, no, no one should move his body unless the, his words somehow come true. But I'm grateful today on August 20, 2023, that the tomb is empty, that the grave is empty, that the Easter story is just as true on August 20, 2023 than it was a couple months ago, than it was on the first Easter morning. And friends, if the tomb is not empty, your faith is worthless. Your faith is worthless. Paul says, if Jesus did not raise, I'm the worst of all fools. Because Jesus, who you would follow, who you'd worship, who you'd trust, is actually a liar. Maybe he healed some people, he raised his friend Lazarus, but if he did not raise from the grave, if he's not risen, if he did not appear to 500 plus people, if, if even secular scholars at the time not believing in Jesus, they account to this resurrection that happened. If that didn't happen, your faith means nothing. But if the tomb is empty, that means a lot of things. And if the tomb is empty, here's what's true. Anything becomes possible. If the tomb is empty, anything becomes possible. Anything is possible. If the tomb is empty, you can have a hope and future. If the tomb is empty, your body can actually be healed and restored and made like it was designed to be. If the tomb is empty, lost people really can be saved. If the tomb is empty, saved people really can find healing and have a purpose. If the tomb is empty, anything is possible. And I felt like Jesus whispered to me a little earlier today, what's your anything? What's your anything? If the tomb is possible, anything. If the tomb is empty, anything is possible. What's your, what's your anything? Where do you need the resurrection, tomb emptying power and reality of Jesus? If the tomb is empty, anything, anything, anything is possible. And I'm grateful for that. But I want to take you back to a moment. I want to take you back to a moment at the tomb. I want to take you back to a moment at the tomb. Scripture says, now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first of the week, Mary Magdalene, the other Mary, went to see the tomb. They, they went to the tomb. They're at, they're at the tomb. And I want you to picture, I want to use the, the tomb as a word picture for us today. Imagine them in that, in that state. They're at the tomb. They're at the tomb. And I want to, I want to use this, this word picture of the tomb for this, that it's any place that we go find, trying to find life where there's not life. It's any place we go, as the other gospel accounts would say, they look for the living among the dead. The tomb is this. It's any place we are looking for life apart from Jesus. The tomb is this picture of any place we're looking for life where Jesus not, is not. Any place we're looking for satisfaction, for hope, for identity, for security, where Jesus is not. And because we're human, and because we're fallen, and because we need a Savior, 
the reality is we all have a tomb. We all have a place or places that we go looking for life where there's not life. We all have places we're tempted. We can often find, try to find life and satisfaction and hope apart from Jesus. Let me ask you a couple of questions today. First is, what's your tomb? What's your tomb? If you're really, really honest with yourself and with Jesus, what's the place you're tempted to find life apart from Jesus? What's the pattern you fall in hoping to find life, hoping to find vitality there, hoping to find significance there, and there's not life there? What, what's, what's your tomb? Maybe for you, your tomb is the approval of others. Maybe that's the place you keep visiting, you keep going to. It's the pattern you live in to seek that affirmation, that approval. It's, it's the affirmation of the approval of a, a boyfriend or a girlfriend, of a significant other, of a group of people, of a boss. What, what's your tomb? Maybe your tomb is the approval of others. Maybe your tomb is success and accomplishments. If I just achieve this, then I'll have life and life to the full. If I just get across this specific achievement, if I accumulate this, then that'll be true. If I, if I just go there, then I'll have life, I'll have meaning, I'll have satisfaction. What's, what's your tomb? Maybe your tomb is religion. Maybe your tomb is religion. Hoping to find life in practices, in behavior management, but apart from Jesus. Jesus at one point confronted the Pharisees and said, you're actually trying to find life. Your tomb is actually the scriptures. Woo! Because you're trying to go there and you're not looking for me. You're not coming to me to find life in life abundant. What, what's your tomb? What's your tomb? What's your tomb? Let me take you to the Gospel of John where something happens at the tomb. John just paints in a different a bit of a light for us. But Mary Magdalene stood weeping outside the tomb. The disciples come, they look in, they see that Jesus is not there, and they leave. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb because she thought Jesus' body was now taken. It's not there. Someone must have taken it. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb, and she saw some more angels, two angels in white. They're seated <laughs> They're seated where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, they've taken away my Lord, and I don't know where they've laid him. I just want to come and bless his body. I just want to give my, my offering, my thanks. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing. This is now outside the tomb. She sees this guy but she did not know that it was Jesus. Now, I don't know if it was the crusties from crying or lack of sleep or what, but she looks at Jesus, his risen body, uh, nail, nail, nail scars in his wrist on his feet, and she doesn't know it's him. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? He repeats the question, whom, whom are you seeking? 
Supposing him to be the gardener, the maintenance man, she said to him, Sir, if you've taken him away, if you've carried him away, tell me, tell me where you have laid him. I, I will take him away. I'll, I'll do away with his body. Jesus said to her, Mary. Mary. And she turned to him and said, Rabbi, which means teacher. Another translation for that is my great teacher or my great master. And just like we all have a tomb, we all have places we're looking for life apart from Jesus. I believe this today, that Jesus is not wanting to heap shame and condemnation and separation on you for that tomb. That Jesus actually, like Mary, he wants to meet you at the tomb. He wants to meet you at the tomb. Jesus is so kind and compassionate. He actually wants to meet you in the very place you're trying to replace him. Jesus wants to meet you in the need for affirmation from others and pour out his love and his affection and his security into you. He wants to meet you in the tomb of accomplishments or of religion, of trying to live and act, and he wants to extend his grace and his favor and his character to you. Jesus wants to meet you at the tomb. And we have this picture of the tomb where, where Jesus actually leads her away. He actually sends her from that place. He goes into Jerusalem. He appears to hundreds and hundreds of people. So what, what's your tomb? And then the second question is this, would you leave the tomb? Would you leave that place, that pattern, that person of trying to find love and security and life apart from Jesus? Would you have today be, be a day of, of repentance, of turning from that place to Jesus, turning from that place to the only one who can bring life, turning from that pattern, that way of thinking, that lie, that way of living that's trying to find life apart from Jesus? Would you leave the tomb? Would you leave the tomb? And this, would you, would you run to Jesus? Would you run to Jesus? Jesus says, if you're where life is, if you're where hope is, if you're where satisfaction, I am running to you. I'm running in your direction. I'm running to you. I'm leaving the tomb. I'm, I'm, making, a, I'm making an aware decision of where I often try to find life apart from you, of the dead place I go looking for living things, and I'm, I'm running to you. I'm running, I'm running to you. You turn and you go a different direction. And I believe this, that today for some of us is a day of reminder and repentance. Reminder and repentance. For those of us following Jesus, for those of us been walking with him for, for years or days or months, however long it's been, today is a day of reminder that the tomb... back to Jesus in the big ways, in the small ways we've turned and tried to find life in other places. It's a day of reminder and repentance. And let me just invite you, if you've been following Jesus, if you're a follower of Jesus, 
would you let the Holy Spirit remind you? Remind you of his power, remind you of his grace, remind you of the Easter resurrection story. And would you let his kindness and that reminder lead you to repentance? A repentant heart that says, Jesus, I want to find life and hope and satisfaction in you alone. That's for some of us. Others of us, I believe today is a day of revelation and repentance. I believe today is a day of revelation and repentance. Revelation is when, when God takes the blinders off, when he, when he opens truth to us, when he reveals, when he, when he reveals himself to you. And maybe you're here today and you've never appropriated, you've never welcomed the resurrection of Jesus into your life. Maybe you're here today and you've never welcomed the lordship of a Jesus who beat death on your behalf, who, yes, thinks you're worth dying for, but left the tomb and showed his victory over death. I believe today the Spirit of God will want to take those blinders off, show you of your need for him, and would you experience repentance as well? Would you turn towards Jesus? Would you leave the tomb? Would you leave the tomb of religion, of self-satisfaction, of sin, of separation from him, and would you run towards Jesus? So let me, for all of us, encourage us with this. Would you respond? Would you respond? 